0: You're listening to Level Up Game Product Managers Edition with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source and Joe Kim, the founder of Game Makers.
1: Welcome back everyone. I'm Melissa Zalouf and you're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing and of course playing games. This week's episode is the 6th installment in our new mini series focused on game product management and we're going to be talking about data infrastructure and analysis for free to play games. As per usual on this series, we're joined by my wonderful co-host for the Level Up GPM edition, Joe Kim, who's the founder of the Game Makers blog and YouTube channel, and also by Victor Wang, Senior Product Manager, and Andrew Wagg, Manager of Data Analysis, both from NBC Universal Games. That's a mouthful. Uh, hi, everyone, and thanks for being on the show.
2: Hey, Melissa. So maybe we could just get started by, well, first of all, great to talk to you guys again. It's been a little while since we were working together back at NBC Universal, and really glad you could join us. But for those in the audience who aren't familiar with you both, could we start by really quickly having you guys talk about your backgrounds and the kinds of games you have worked on in the past?
3: Yeah, yeah. My, my name is Andrew Wag, and I've been doing uh, analytics for almost 10 years in various capacities and working on games for a little while. Let's kind of been all over the place mostly casual and mid-core puzzle games Um, and basically a lot of what i do is work on um, setting up the tracking in games um, helping people get operational data independence answers to the questions they need and also um, doing big analyses to support our product teams and help people make better decisions Yeah, and um, hey, everyone, my name is Victor Wang.
0: I've been working as a PM in the gaming industry for the past three years now. Um, Started off my career in gaming at a publisher called Scopely, uh, working as a PM on their Yahtzee with Buddies franchise. Uh, And really, my focus there was to find opportunities where we could drive growth for the game through live operations. And in many cases, this included in-game event planning, personalized in-game experiences, segmentation to drive targeted offers, and really influencing the roadmap from the player insights we were able to gather from running daily events. Uh, it was a really great introduction to gaming and, and really what it means to be a PM on a successful live title. Um, fast forward uh, a year and a half, I decided to join NBC Universal to help build a new games publishing team, team uh, as our first product hire and got the chance to work on a number of different games. Uh, most notably worked on Jurassic World Alive, which is a geolocation style game uh, right when I joined. Uh, Saw some pretty good success there and more recently uh, transitioned onto two other games in development.
1: Great. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Um, Let's dive in. I thought we could start um, first by talking about dashboards and KPIs. So at most companies, there are generally sort of standard and custom metrics being tracked across different games. Can you talk about the sort of um, key considerations that go into coming up with those standard metrics and what, in your experience, are some of the um, specific ones that are commonly tracked at different across different gaming companies.
0: Yeah, totally. So, you know, before we rattle off a list of KPIs that you should be tracking, I think it's really important to understand two things: uh, one, the overall purpose tracking KPIs serve, uh, and two, the goals and motivations of the different stakeholders on your games team. Um, but overall, you know, KPIs are super important to understand uh, uh, about you know the three different things about your game: right, um, retention, engagement, and monetization which is basically the lifeblood of any game. Uh, Depending on the style of game, the types of KPIs you look at can vary quite a lot. Um, For instance, if you're a company that is focused on hyper-casual like Voodoo, uh, the types of KPIs you would look at could vary a lot compared to a company like Playrix, which focuses on match-three style games. Uh, But I think, in my view, the most essential set of KPIs uh, serve the purpose of understanding business performance for the game. Uh, And this is usually of most interest to executive level management. Ultimately, these are KPIs that help game teams understand the relationship between LTV, uh, which is lifetime value, and cost per install. Uh, and this is extremely important to understand uh, as early as possible to know that you have an ROI positive game. Um, so when you break those two things down, uh, you can get, you know, under LTV, you, you can figure out what your retention curve looks like. So D1, D2, D3, et cetera. Uh, and Looking at that retention curve, you can determine the average retention days, which is essentially the area below that curve. Uh, and then on top of that, you can also look at average revenue per daily active user, which is arped out. Uh, and then sort of the combination of those two things is the LTV for your game. And then on the CPI side of the equation, um, you know, this is obviously how much you're spending per install. Uh, and then you can slice this up uh, into two different ways. You know, look at look at what your CPIs are by network and then also by campaign. So those are sort of the the most essential set of KPIs, at least in my opinion. Um, The next set of of KPIs uh, goes a level deeper in unpacking LTV. And it's something that product teams are interested in knowing uh, in order to monitor and optimize their games, right? So um, things like DAU, um, when you think about DAU, this is a function of your installs um, and your retention curve, which we we just mentioned. Uh, And then on the ARPDAT side of things, you can unpack that down into... Pair conversion rate, you know, average transaction value, number of payments per pair, those types of things. And then one level deeper, um, sort of the third sort of level is um, important to understand in-game player behavior and is something that game economists and designers uh, are interested in knowing in order to do their jobs well. So, you know, on the engagement side of things, things like session length and number of sessions, um, participation rates in certain events and features. On the monetization side of things, um, things like currency inflow and outflow um, by certain contexts within the game, uh, and then also conversion rate by actual package. So um, that is sort of uh, a full view on the types of KPIs that I I think are fairly standard across most games.
3: Yep. And just remember, of course, like at at the heart of this, as, as you're thinking about this for yourself, really what you're what you're trying to do is understand product health and, and that's what all those are tools to help you accomplish. So just keep that in mind as, as the reason that that you're doing all this stuff in the first place.
1: And have you guys noticed um, kind of a, a wide variance in terms of what counts as standard um, at different game companies or sort of um, in different genres?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's, there's probably uh Oh, for, for every five companies, you probably have seven standards. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. there's there's some variance. I, I think conceptually, the the metrics that a company decides to standardize on are, are going to be targeted at understanding game health and performance. And uh, the industry standard metrics give you the advantage of being able to compare your product to others across the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it easier to teach your, your coworkers what they mean because um, many of them will already be familiar with how they're calculated Mm. um and as as organizations mature they tend to standardize their own metrics um that serve their needs better
1: how um sorry for for jumping in there how often do you guys sort of um set benchmarks or are there sort of industry bent or i would say i guess genre benchmarks that you can and do leverage
0: yeah, I think a, a tool that we typically use is App Annie to really just understand the landscape um, and sort of understand our competitors and, and how they uh, how they rate in, in terms of like retention and sort of monetization. So, I mean, from that perspective, App Annie is a fantastic tool. I know that a ton of people also use Sensor Tower to to really get sort of those benchmarks um, in order to to really set those targets.
2: Cool. Uh, Maybe shifting gears now and speaking about custom metrics, some companies actually don't do custom per game KPIs, but can you guys speak to when you do look at custom metrics, Like, how do you come up with those specific custom metrics you should be tracking? Like, When is it important to do that?
3: Yeah, sure. I think one of the themes we're going to have throughout this whole conversation is making sure you're asking yourself the right questions. And so when you're thinking about this, um, you really need to ask yourself, you know, what are the things that need to go well or or need to not go poorly um, for your game to be successful? And uh, what can you measure that will help you understand how this is doing? And if you do need to measure something new in order to understand this, then that's a good indicator that um, you should consider making this a, a KPI for your game. Yeah, I totally agree with Wag. I think ultimately product teams should be asking themselves,
0: you know, what are the things that need to happen in my product in order for it to be a, a success? Uh, And if the answer to that question isn't currently being tracked, then it's certainly worth tracking. Um, And if you look even outside of the gaming space, you take a look at other successful tech companies, and they have this notion of North Star metrics, right? Uh, And, you know, when you look at Facebook, they obviously really uh, emphasize daily active users, which is something that obviously gaming uh, companies are super interested in um, optimizing on. But when you think about Airbnb, they optimize on nights booked. When you think about WhatsApp, they look at number of messages a user sends per day. Um, so there are definitely a lot of differences in, in the metrics that they track as well.
2: Got it. And then can you guys uh, provide some examples or um, give, provide a little more context in terms of like maybe kinds of games or situations where you think custom metrics are, are critical or you know, or maybe a class of games where you don't need them. You know, I guess one example that comes to mind are like more of the PvP-based, um, you know, it's kind of CC-based games. But you know, just
3: any anything else that you guys can think of. Yeah, I think almost almost any game is eventually going to want to have custom metrics as it gets more mature and sophisticated. I mean, basically, you know, early on, you, your your product is going to have its own personality and and you're going to become acquainted with that as you start to get more and more data in and so at first um, you're not necessarily going to know what to expect but as you get more familiar with your product you're going to start realizing that certain kinds of behaviors are really important um, and you'll start identifying those over time and and every game's different so um, I can't think of any exceptions where uh, where you wouldn't have certain new behaviors that are really important to you? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think in
0: almost all cases, there's definitely a need to have custom metrics, given how unique games have become over the years. But I think for games that don't have like complex in-game economies or varied modes of gameplay, like hyper casual, for instance, you could probably get by just looking at like standard set of metrics uh, like retention, time spent in game, ad impressions per DAU, that type of thing. But it's when you get into games that have like much more complex economies with multiple currencies that custom metrics become more necessary to really understand in-game player behavior.
1: And how fluid or dynamic do you find the sort of um, either the the KPIs or even the custom, I mean, custom metrics, of course, would be dynamic. But do you find that as you launch new features or trial something new um, that you're revisiting what KPIs you're looking at? Or sort of discarding some as, as perhaps um, maybe not irrelevant but but less helpful.
3: Hey, I mean, yeah, yeah. As as, as your understanding evolves, um, your priorities are going to change, and, and it's that's the kind of thing you should always be thinking about. But if if they're chosen well, um, you know, as as indications of game health um, and giving you an idea of whether you're succeeding or, or failing. Um, you should probably only revisit them when you fundamentally change the way that you expect players to interact with your game. Um, and, and and there are cases where that happens. I I wouldn't be surprised if some new live events met those conditions and you need to revisit what you're actively managing and keeping an eye on. Um, but otherwise, uh, new features are more likely to have their own feature KPIs that can help you um, understand whether the new feature does what you intended. But But a lot of... You know, what you really want front and center in, in your conversations about your game is is going to hopefully be constant if it's already in line with your vision. Yeah, and I
0: think an important thing
3: to to really understand is sort of like what KPIs even
0: stand for, right? Like they stand for key performance indicators. And you know if they aren't key to your understanding of the game, then like they shouldn't really be considered KPIs to begin with. So from that perspective, you know, KPIs shouldn't really change drastically only in the instances where a new feature really changes the way that the game is played. And that's something that, you know, Locke has really alluded to.
2: Got it. And for me, kind of an interesting topic is around dashboard and sort of the scope of KPIs, because it seems like there are actually a few different schools of thought when it comes to that. So, for example, one school is really focused on the very standard KPIs of ARP DAO, D1730 retention, ARPUPU, and, and to, Victor, you mentioned some of the other sort of standard KPIs out there. So there's there's that school, and there's a second school that has a huge set of standard KPIs that looks at just about everything. Then there's like a third school that has a dehydrated set of standard KPIs mixed in with uh, with a set of custom KPIs on a per game basis, and I'm increasingly I'm increasingly hearing more about a fourth school, which is basically only custom KPIs that are game dependent. And I believe the school of thought probably originated from Kabam and the sort of Jeff Howell regulars type of thinking. But in this scenario, even things like DAO or ARPDAU may not be on the main dashboard. Instead, it may be things like regulars DAO or DAC or something like those kinds of metrics. So basically trying to boil down a game into as few key metrics as possible and only focusing on those but wondering if you guys could comment on you know your thoughts on those different schools of thought and what what are you guys proponents of
3: yeah yeah i mean it's it's worth pointing out that all of these schools hopefully work really well for the people who are are using them and and this is one of those it depends kind of answers and and what I'd recommend really does depend on your organization's maturity. Um, and, you know, some of these questions you have to ask yourself as you're setting this up and uh, game KPIs are, are meant to un- help you understand whether your game is doing well. And if you're a mature organization or working on a mature game, you can, you can actually look at custom metrics in a vacuum and answer that question. But if you're just starting out, then leaning on these game agnostic, standardized metrics will let you compare your new game to either your most successful title or using industry research comparing it to other games that are out there. And that's a huge help as you're getting your footing. Um, and, and it's also worth mentioning, you know, for the huge set of standard KPIs, um, it's a small distinction, but I'm, I'm in favor of having a lot of different metrics on hand, but not necessarily in favor of classifying those as, um, KPIs and, and treating them like that. It's, it's kind of a semantic thing, but putting too many metrics front and center can make it harder to build strong data habits with your team and, and distract from some of the things that are really crucial. Um, so I, I just want everyone to bear in mind while we're talking about this, that game KPIs are, are diagnostic, sure, but they're also a jumping off point. And uh, if a metric doesn't truly make or break your game, um, you shouldn't be shy about putting it somewhere where, where people can look at it situationally. Yeah. The only I think I'd add to that is it
0: obviously depends on sort of your your organization's sort of maturity in the space. But then also, in my opinion, it depends on like where you are in the product lifecycle of your game. So I think you know the first school of thought, which is the very standard set of KPIs, um, I think it's a great approach for a game that's like in soft launch and understanding whether your product has market viability, um, since those are metrics that are commonly used to determine product health across uh, the industry. But sort of on the other hand, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, which is sort of the regular school of thought, uh, I think it's, it's a great approach if you have a mature product and that you found that it's got product market fit and, and that you have the data to support that those particular metrics are what you need to properly drive growth for your game. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, let's say you're um, in a scenario where this is probably not unfamiliar to you. um, You're the PM and you see you're seeing a metric which is lower than a target or a benchmark or or on its way to dropping. Um, What do you sort of normally do? Can you walk us through kind of a, a typical scenario like that?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it, it, as being a PM, it's a situation that we're unfortunately all super familiar with. <laughs> but you know, before jumping the gun and assuming that there is an issue, I think it's super important to you know first verify that the data can be trusted. I think all too often game teams uh, assume that the data can be trusted and they go down this rabbit hole of investigating the issue only to figure out that there was a data fidelity issue. So I think just at the very start of it, um, it's super important to verify that there indeed is an issue by verifying the data. But you know, once the data has been verified, uh, you know, this is where root cause analysis can come into play uh, in order to really diagnose what the issue is. Um, so you know, let's say um, you see a drop in revenue, right? And again, this is something that PMs are super familiar with. Uh, you know, The goal here is to reduce revenue uh, down into its core components and see how those core components Contribute to that drop, so you know when you unpack revenue, you can reduce that metric down uh, into DAU and ARPDAU, right? But um, you know there's ways to reduce those metrics down even further. Um, so let's say in this hypothetical situation, we see that ARPDAU is really where you're seeing majority of that decrease. So from there, you can really reduce that metric down into its key components, uh, and you can reduce that down into payer conversion rate and average revenue per paying user, RPPU. Um, and, you know, let's say you see the majority of that decrease is in RPPU. Uh, you can reduce that further down into payments per pair and average transaction size. Uh, and, and really the whole idea here is to just reduce these metrics down into something that's a bit more actionable. Um, and, you know, let's say hypothetically in this situation that you see payments per pairs you know, up by 20% and average transactions down by 40%, um, now you have something that's a little bit more actionable that you can start investigating uh, on like things that have happened in the game the past day or so that might be contributing to those um, those fluctuations. Uh, and sort of in this hypothetical situation, it could be very possible that, you know, a targeted offer um, campaign that you set off, um, you know, drove a decrease in average kind of, uh, price, but then also drove an increase in payments, but not enough to offset the the decrease in price. So, you know, this is a good approach in order to understand and, and diagnose issues. Um, and then from there, it doesn't really tell you what you need to do to solve that issue. And I think it's important that, you know, this is where PM intuition kind of comes into play. And, um, you know, this is where roadmap prioritization comes into play and, and really understanding sort of the, the live ops that you've been running and how you can improve.
3: That going forward. Yep, yeah. yeah, that was a great summary, and just communicate with your team. Like it's um, so important to just make sure everyone knows what's going on, and, and you get through these situations together. Um, but but yeah, it, conceptually, I think one of the things I've noticed as I've done, I think as you've said. Um, way too many of these investigations, a pattern I've seen as, as the person who's usually doing the investigating is that you, you tend to get to the heart of these problems by cleaving deeper and deeper into the thing that looks wrong. Um, so you'll split things out by platform. And if the problem is evenly distributed across those platforms, then it's probably not a platform specific mm-hmm. thing. And, and you keep making those cuts until eventually you um, hopefully you'll find one thing that's basically dropped to zero while everything else is fine. And and that tends to be the trick to really tracking those things down.
1: It's interesting. You, you guys mentioned root cause analysis because it's actually the subject of a podcast, which Joe and I um, did together. How often or common do you think it is for game PMs to be leveraging root cause analysis to get to the bottom of problems like this sort of intentionally as a methodology?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. You know, like I mentioned in my background, I started off at Scopely, and this was sort of one of the key things that they teach you, um, being a PM over there. So I can't really speak to whether this approach is used at other gaming companies. You know, having sort of that training, quote unquote, at Scopely has really served me well in sort of my PM career. But um, I mean, it, it's definitely a helpful approach because I think, all too often you have these big problems that sometimes you you don't have the focus to really understand like how to unpack those problems. And using this approach really provides sort of that framework uh, to really dive deeper into to what that issue is.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and besides looking at uh, KPIs, what are some of the other things that you do to analyze the health of, of free-to-play games? Um, you mentioned, you know, PM intuition. Um, now you know metrics are obviously the the science. Is there is there an art to it too?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there's um, you know I, I think with a lot of these investigations you are actually um, there's quite a bit of intuition in terms of where you look and how you interpret things. And, and the more context you have and understanding you have for how the game works, the the better you're going to fare. Um, and that's that's another part of why it's important to communicate is is you have all these people who can help you understand this um, in, in addition to just avoiding you know, causing a panic or having separate investigations. And so it's, it's important to mention that while, while we're focused a lot on game analytics specifically today and, and how you can use your game's data to understand what's going on, there's actually a whole bunch of other people um, who come from different disciplines with different pieces of the puddle, puzzle that can be tremendously helpful. Um, and so you have teams like hopefully a QA team, customer support, um, research teams, social teams, um, community, and all these people have insight into what's going on in the game and effective organizations are going to find a way to really give them a voice. And I, I remember um, at one company I worked at really having a strong customer support team that had found ways to be involved in product and in production discussions and you know we, we couldn't always find time to prioritize um, their requests just like with anything else but um, it was really important for those teams to have a voice so that we can make informed decisions about what was going on.
0: Yeah I, I totally agree with that. I think you know at Scopely and at NBC Universal whenever we have sort of these weekly retrospects to understand how the product's doing we're obviously looking at all the game KPIs we had mentioned, but you know things like ASO, like understanding App Store optimization and the the KPIs associated with that. So things like you know App Store rating, you know the actual ASO funnel, so click through to install conversion, super important to have a, a view of. Um, you know CS, you know as Wages mentions something super important to track. Um, you know how quickly you're getting back to to, to, to complaints or, or users. Uh, when they submit a CS complaint, um, things like you know on the QA side of things, things like crash rate, number of bugs, these are all super important uh, pieces of the puzzle that you know game in-game analytics aren't going to really help uh, solve for you, and that you know it's important to have a, a full view of those things.
2: Great. So, final question on analysis for me is: How much do you guys actually consider cost, or how much should PMs consider cost when thinking about KPIs tracked? I mean, it's Certainly really convenient for a PM to have every bit of data available, but then do you consider cost or have some type of events budget or cap like a you know um, x events per DAO or something like that to make sure analytic costs don't get out of hand? And I mean, to some degree, this depends on the telemetry solution you have and the cost model of that solution, but if you guys could speak more generally about that.
0: Yeah, I think this is a really great question and something that I've had to consider more and more um, at my job in recent years. I think this is highly dependent on your company's data strategy and tech stack. Um, I think ultimately, you know, as PMs, especially if you have p ownership, cost is always something that you have to consider, even though it might not actually fall under your p But, you know, being people that think about benefits and costs, you can't help but think about sort of that uh, as it relates to data. Um, I think what's important to understand is that, like, as long as you're setting up your event telemetry uh, efficiently, which you should already be doing uh, because of the performance implica- uh, implications of doing that, then it it has triple effects down uh, to cost. So I think from that perspective, that that's how we control costs as PMs.
3: Yep. Yeah. A lot of times, I've actually I've seen the the performance implications of. Of wasteful tracking hit home well before the the cost implications come to roost, so, right. so that's that's where I've I've really seen that come in. Is, is if you've got some sloppy tracking, you'll wind up blowing up your database and your queries don't run anymore.
2: Got it. And then kind of shifting gears now to more about data, and in particular real time data. I mean, part of the yeah. You know, um, data warehouse decision does come down to whether or not you need real time data or near real time data or not. Victor, I, I know you and I had this discussion as well back when I was at NBC Universal, and I'm probably part of the the smaller camp that doesn't really think that we need real time data. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, you know, not that I don't understand some of the advantages because there there are certainly some advantages. But I wanted, I was wondering if you guys could speak to. When and how do you use real-time data, and what are those advantages? Um, you know, and and if you, you know, and, and what are the infrastructure implications if if you are considering real-time data?
0: Yeah, totally. And I remember having that conversation with you uh, back at MBC Universal, and you know, at the time, I used to be of the camp that real-time data was super necessary to have, uh, and it was a luxury that I had at prior companies and didn't really have to think much about it. Um, but you know, then I realized it comes at a significant cost. Uh, both from a monetary <laughs> and performance perspective. Um, you know, That being said, I, I think there's still a use case for having real-time data, uh, and that's to react quickly to concerning changes in your game um, that may break monetization or DAU growth. Um, so for instance, at Scopely, uh, we had a real-time monitoring system that would alert the product team, uh, literally through like text and like a phone call, <laughs> uh, of any noticeable changes in monetization uh, or economy balances that needed to be addressed right away. So I think, like from that perspective, you know, given that use case, the added cost of
3: having that real time data uh, definitely paid for itself. Yeah, it's a, a lot of when and where you need this stuff depends on what you're using the data for, and and there are options where some things are going to be more or less real time, and, and other things aren't. Um, I think specifically, if you're using really almost any kind of third party CRM or Push notification or game alarm service; um, those products have, have rightly, you know, realized that n- real time or near real time data is really important for reacting and responding to things quickly. And so, you may find that parts of your tech stack um, already have real time capabilities where it's essential, and and that takes care of your biggest needs. Um, but otherwise, you know, how how necessary it is depends on the maturity and needs of your organization. And I I think part of the reason we're talking about this is we've seen a trend towards data being more and more real time. Um, And also a lot of the technology that's out there um, is now built with that in mind, where processing scales up much more easily. Things can happen more quickly. In general, data streaming is becoming more mainstream. Um, And so since it is getting easier, and I think potentially more and more expected, it is still a good idea to... Be open to the possibility and leave the door open for that in the future.
1: Got it. And um, now, let's move on to talking about data infrastructure. Uh, what kind of components do you look for um, in infrastructure? What are the make- major capabilities you need to have in order to support all of these sort of KPIs, metrics, real time or not that we've been talking about?
3: <laughs> yeah, there's it's it's a lot to get your hands around sometimes. But but re- remember that the the goal in all of this. All, pretty much all this stuff we're talking about, you're trying to get data out of your game and get it into the hands of decision makers in a way that's going to be useful to them. And, and almost all of this is in support of that in some way. And so you know th- there's a handful of essential components to this and, and they're essential in the sense that they're really the, the essence of the goal that and you can't have a data pipeline without it. Um, basically you need to record the things that happen in your game, Uh, You need to discard anything that's invalid. Uh, You need to aggregate all of your valid data in a way that's going to be meaningful to a person. And then you need to um, actually put the data somewhere where it can be viewed by the people that need it. And so what this means is that you'll need a data pipeline that has components for filtering, processing, and storing data, as well as a reporting or visualization mechanism of some kind. And so... Um, Those are the major elements. And and one other thing I want to mention just to keep an eye out for um, is how you're setting up alarms and monitoring Uh, things, things go wrong all the time and and having an automated eye on your data at all times can be one of the fastest ways to catch serious problems and and bring them to your attention. Yeah. The only thing I'd add to that, and and perhaps I'm saying this from like a selfish
0: perspective, being a PM, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but something that I always look for is uh, a system that allows PMs to be self service is, as much as humanly possible. I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, getting data into the hands of decision makers, there's obviously, uh, um, depending on how you're set up, it could be this process that doesn't allow PMs to be uh, as quick as uh, they can be. So uh, from a PM perspective, I'm always looking for ways to get my hands on data quicker.
3: Yes, yeah, so so often as as an analyst, I, I find that there's, a very large need for data and and I'm in the way of a lot of that and, and a big part of my job is getting out of the way in as many of these cases as possible and I- identifying the, the spots where people don't have independence yet and helping give them the tools to
1: um, do all of these things on um, their own. Just a, a quick side note, um, how often are there mobile mm-hmm. app solutions for um, kind of accessing the data reporting and visit visualization components. Um, I think, sort of, on the one hand, we everyone knows that we're now sort of. It, I mean, it's a cliche to say we're living in an on-the-go world, and you need to know everything all the time, and you don't stop working just because you stepped away from your desk, and certainly your game doesn't stop kind of um, being played just because you're not by your by your computer. Um, and yet, I think a lot of the times people are accessing critical kind of uh, data or information from kind of a browser um, in their phones. Um, do you sort of find, um, is is, a, is mobile access important to you? And is it is it available? Yeah.
0: yeah, so from my experience at Scopely, we did have the luxury of being able to access all the important dashboards for our games through our phones. And I think this uh, becomes increasingly important, especially when you have a live game that runs Ten live events every single day that you need to sort of keep track of. Um, It really allows you as a a PM team to be um, to really track how things are going throughout the day without being in front of your computer. So I think, like from that perspective, uh, it's super important to have that capability, especially for a live game and when things are like um, when a lot of things are happening within your game on a given day.
2: Got it. What, what about safeguards, guys? What, what kinds of safeguards should you establish when publishing data to just ensure that you will have high quality and valid data, you know, um, speaking to the data integrity and fidelity issue, um, generally speaking, you know, how does your data need to be transformed so that it, it is relatively safe? That's,
3: wow, that's, yeah, like that's a whole <laughs> other podcast, <laughs> I, I think. But really if, if there's, one thing that you need to figure out, um, you know, when you're doing all this stuff, that's it. Because when, when your data comes through improperly, um, you can't build work on top of it. And it takes a lot of time to clean it up by hand and it'll just bring your work to a standstill. And I've, I've seen teams totally get bogged down um, in just cleaning up the messes that, that come from this. Um, and and they're, to give you the high level of it, there, there are a few hugely impactful things that you can do um, to improve data quality. And then, that you know, if, if you're listening to this, you can consider for yourself and think about how how you're doing in these areas. Um, I think one thing, it's less common than I would have guessed, is um, if you can get your QA team involved in analytics QA to the greatest extent you can. That's really helpful, um, so that you can have as many eyes on the data as possible. Um, you know, we, we have lots of people looking at the player-facing part of the game, but the the analytics side is also um, just as easy to break. And if, it's, if you're the only person looking at it, you're going to have a lot more mistakes get through. Um, so you can write test cases and, and give the QA team guidance on what areas to focus on with each update. Um, you can also make sure that the expected tracking for your game has been formally defined down to the data type. Um, and... Uh, That'll, you know, make sure that your the rest of your pipeline is prepared for, um, for all that, um, and that the things that, that you have coming through are as you expect, um, and and you don't have all these calculation errors further down. Um, so, you know, as as for how it needs to be transformed, um, key calculations that you'll need to to do over and over again can be handled in the data pipeline to ensure that they're handled reliably over time, um, rather than, you know, done in individual queries where people can do things differently. And a- as your team grows, automating these important data processing steps ensures that everyone will get the same answer to any given question, instead of calculating it their own way. Um, and and this, this table aggregation, if it's done well, is also going to have the extra benefit of reducing processing costs and simplifying maintenance and troubleshooting and improving the performance of all your reports and dashboards that are downstream of it. Yeah, I don't
0: really have much to add to that. I think, you know, Andrew's definitely the subject matter expert uh, on this particular subject. Um, Yeah. If there's one regret that I have in in terms of how we scale our sort of team we uh, I, I wish we would have brought andrew Wag on earlier to kind of address these things like, you
1: know he really uncovered
3: a ton of these gaps in sort of our podcasts wait till you hear what he says in the podcast from
1: one <laughs> <group>. <laughs> um and and how you how do you guys design for sort of um obviously from a from a data infrastructure perspective for multiple titles and for um additional scale um you know massive hopefully massive user growth
3: mm-hmm. yeah um you know for for multiple titles, the the keys really to make your work as reusable as possible. I mean, building out this infrastructure it's a huge pain. It can be tedious and slow at times, and you know but but the investment in all that infrastructure and those dashboards it, it pays off as you're able to get repeat use out of it over time. And you accomplish this by standardizing your inputs as much as possible, building a system that's flexible enough to handle. Um, as many of those inevitable exceptions, um, to your rules as you can. Um, so like as, as an example, um, you can avoid using game specific terminology and in the names of your keys and your tracking and the, you know, the key value pairs that that come through where you might have, you know, transaction name and it'll be, um, you know, character level up so the the key is it it could be called transaction name it's the name of your transaction um you know doing this leaves the door open for the tracking to be reused in other games Um, you just need to make sure that the spirit of the tracking is is the same across titles and that you'd use it the same way in analysis so for instance um, you could have a a key in your tracking that's called combos created and for a puzzle game you could use that to count the number of power gems that you create on the gem board and in a fighting game you could use it to count the number of actual combo moves that are are used in either case um and and this this tracking can be used as an indicator of player skill at, at at the core game and it'll make it easier to roll your work from one game into the next um even if they're fairly different titles, um, your, your dashboards and, and your data pipeline will already be pulling a lot of that information through. And, and you know maybe, maybe a third game doesn't need to use combos created at all because it's not relevant, and, and that's totally fine too. Um, but the point is you're, you're leaving the door open for as much of this hard work to get used over and over again, because a lot of this investment really doesn't pay off overnight. You're, you're sinking all this time and energy into a system that's going to pay off in the long run and, and not require you to do a whole bunch of maintenance. Yeah, I think the key thing to stress here is having some, a system that's flexible,
0: right? Um, so you're not duplicating efforts across multiple games. Uh, that's something that we had seen with some of our titles here. Uh, you know, being a PM on a subset of the games that we were publishing... You know, we, we did have a bit of a short-sighted view in terms of how we should be setting up our data infrastructure uh, to, to really meet the needs of those games individually, rather than thinking about the, the grand scheme of things.
2: Got it. And so at a high level, we've talked about both analysis and data infrastructure. And I was wondering if you guys could talk about kind of common mistakes or problems that people in our audience should watch out for, uh, starting maybe with the first topic around analysis.
0: Yeah, I think the most common mistake uh, in analysis that I've seen sort of in the industry uh, is around priorities, right? And this is a word that's used a lot, uh, you know, in in sort of PM speak, but I think like more specifically, you know, prioritizing the wrong type of analyses, given the current state of the product. Ultimately, there are a ton of great questions to be asking about uh, our games. And the stark reality is that many game teams are resource constrained. Surprise, surprise. Surprise. Uh, so we have to be very methodical about the types of questions we want to prioritize in answering. And I think a good rule of thumb in determining uh, analytics priorities is to think about the important decisions you'll need to make as a games team uh, in the near future and the key data points you'll need in order to make the most sound decision. Uh, I, I found that this rule of thumb ensures that you're focusing on the right things and you're getting rid of any future bottlenecks in your development slash live ops process before they even happen.
3: Yeah, yeah that's... that's, that's totally it. And I mean, if, if you're used to working on a product, um, one way to think about it is that you basically, your investigations need to have the same type of discipline that you've been applying to your product roadmap. Um, you need to be really, um, diligent about prioritizing your time properly for, for as much as some of the questions you get on any given day are going to be fascinating um, and and for people who are involved in game analytics, it's it's worth pointing out that it, when this is going well, and when you're really good at this, um, and properly anticipating the questions that your team's going to have, this is where you actually get to have a lot of influence as an analyst because you're and and build a platform um, for your team and really have a voice and come into your own because you essentially get the privilege of. Framing and kicking off a lot of these conversations if if you're the first one to the discussion, um, you can really set the table and help make sure that your decision makers are going to have a productive time um, and are considering a lot of the right information and it's really rewarding when it's going well.
2: Got it okay and now how about common mistakes with with respect to data infrastructure
3: um i I think if there's a theme, there's, there's really one major category of mistakes that comes in a few flavors and it pretty much eclipses all the other mistakes. Uh, And that's not spending enough time thinking about data infrastructure early on, Um, you know, or data, basically it, it tends to be an afterthought in the production process. And, and this tends to lead to unforced errors that require massive cleanup efforts and take time away from analysis and a, a lot of this can be improved by thinking about when you bring analysts into the game, how you're going to involve them, and what your expectations for them are. Uh, and, and so real-world examples of this include... Um, shoot, I mean, I'm, I'm an expert in mistakes. <laughs> um, I have a lot of experience in it. Uh, you, you can, I mean, leave analytics out of the design documentation process, um, add tracking to your game um, immediately before or even in the release candidate build of the game without time for proper QA. Um, you can build dashboards without regard for the ongoing maintenance costs and find yourself in <laughs> dashboard <laughs> maintenance purgatory. Um, design the pipeline without fully working through the way it's going to scale. Um, but And that's, that's a long list of random stuff, but if you get to the heart of what each of those mistakes are, it's that... Um, you had other urgent things going on and you rushed a big decision and like like I said, these things pay off over time. It, it turns out your mistakes pay off over time too. Um and you wind up paying this debt off um forever until you set aside time to fix it and it's just, it can just be a big mess that distracts you from again. The most important thing in this whole conversation which is using data to help people make better decisions
0: yeah i think the the only thing i I like to stress from that is getting data analytics more involved in sort of like the entire development process like from pre-production to production to you know in all of those phases i think something um that is often um kind of not thought about initially is that you know when you're developing features you really have to think about the types of like even starting with event telemetry, like, what are the things you want to track when you're introducing this new feature into the game, right? So getting sort of the perspective of an analytics person involved in that process is, is hugely helpful.
2: Right and maybe one mistake I could bring up with you Andrew is is sort of the big one you fixed when when we were working together. Mm-hmm. So to your to your point about the general principle in terms of you know the common problem with data teams is just to get stuff done very quickly, not think about long-term viability. So sometimes a data team may just throw data into a JSON blob or whatever and figure out how to parse that data out for visualization later. So that causes mm-hmm. all sorts of problems because everything isn't put into very fixed and you know, and specific data structures that are extracted cleanly in a uniform way. So I don't know. I call it an events and property spec. Andrew, I know you had another name for it, um, but you, you know what I mean, right? So can you talk about this issue and why it's so important?
3: Yeah, you even you got the name right. Yeah, we've, we've called it the event spec, and I've seen that okay. terminology used fairly broadly. Um, but the <clears throat> basically the, the data from your game it undergoes a really long journey before it finally lands in a dashboard or report. And and to get it to the finish line, you're basically building a giant Rube Goldberg machine to get it there. And if a single step fails, the whole process is in jeopardy. Um, and so data predictability is a key element of making this data journey a success. And if your data pipeline doesn't know what to expect, you can, Try to fight that with a flexible pipeline, but you're ultimately going to be in for a long and thankless maintenance struggle. <laughs> um, so to achieve this predictability, um, one of the things you can do with your team is to create a specification for the data that's going to be sent from the game. Um, basically define what your tracking is going to look like. And, you know, this, this works in the same way that a car factory might have a spec. It's the same term. Um, There's certain tolerances that your product has to have in order to be allowed out of the facility and onto store shelves. Um, So having these definitions established gives your developers specific guidance on how to instrument the game, lets your QA team determine whether tracking is working as expected. So it makes all of this testable in a pass-fail sense of the word. Um, And it keeps wild data from contaminating your pipeline where you might have a Extra zeros get added to something and ruin all of your dashboards, or or you might send a string where there's supposed to be a number, and and a job, and your pipeline is going to fail. Um, so so by discarding these events that don't match what you've specified, you can you know hopefully put them somewhere where you can see that it's happening and fix it, so it it keeps you from getting into data quality debt too badly because you're addressing things as they come up. Um, and it also just it keeps everything downstream from getting contaminated which is just a time-consuming and brutal proposition <laughs>
1: um, okay as, um, as the last question because because we we do have to wrap up um, let's do a, a- if you could each of you do it all over again um, and we we have talked about mistakes um, what approach would you go with from both a dashboards uh, KPI perspective and from a data infrastructure tech tech stack perspective
0: yeah I think we we definitely talked a lot about some of the mistakes uh, that are common in the industry and and some mistakes that we've made uh, over here as well sort of in our careers but I think like overall if I could do it all over again Uh, I would definitely have brought Andrew Walk onto our team earlier, (laughs) something I mentioned before, but, uh, you know, since he's come on the team, he's definitely uncovered a ton of gaps in our data process. But I mean, speaking from a dashboard's perspective, uh, we were definitely super ambitious with the standard set of KPIs um, that we defined across our whole portfolio. I think given sort of our resourcing at the time, um, you know, it was definitely a lot to undertake um, just at the start. So I think... um, If I could do it over again, I would have just focused on the core set of KPIs that uh, we deemed as um, you know important. So like things like retention, like the the most basic set of KPIs you can think of, to really just um, build better data habits, put more focus on the things that matter, especially given where we were in our kind of publishing portfolio. Uh, That would be sort of the the number one thing from uh, from my perspective. And then obviously, uh, from a data infrastructure standpoint, uh, bring on. Andrew Watt earlier so he can help fix those things would have been what I what I would have done.
3: I, I hope it's not too obvious <laughs> that I'm paying Victor to say nice things about me. <laughs> um, no, I, I think for, for as much as you know, a, a lot of this has been, yes, we've talked about best practices. We've also focused a lot on the big scary problems to avoid. It's, it's worth mentioning that for, for all we've really emphasized a lot of the complaints. So overall, I'm pretty happy with how things have, have gone on the data side um, for where we are as an organization. But um, there's still plenty to, to redo. Um, I, I think our, our dashboards and KPIs were more or less appropriate for the maturity of our organization, even if some of the dashboards came in a bit late and, and uh, we could have done a better job educating the team and driving strong data habits um, we still had a large set of standard dashboards available alongside the first production build of each game, which is a good milestone to keep in mind if you're thinking about this. Um, and we also built out um, our custom reporting prior to global, global launch, which is, you know, it's, it's really important to have everything you need ready for day one. Um, and we were raising the bar every time we launched a new game there, which is what you want to see, um, that, that you're really taking the lessons that you've learned and rolling them forward. Cause I, I think the, the, the key to making mistakes is at least trying to make sure that you're not making them twice. Um, and you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the, the biggest thing I change overall, though, 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 it seems like a small detail, um, is to be more involved in setting up and monitoring the custom tracking on, on the games that, that we've been working on. Um, it, it would have been a big job uh, to do all of this up front. but you know, kind of one of the common refrains in this conversation is it would have saved us time that now needs to be invested into cutting tracking that fires too often, addressing blind spots that prevent us from doing analysis and reworking redundant or inappropriate tracking that causes data anomalies.
1: Thanks, um, both of you. That's that's been it's been super interesting to chat, um, and I think probably very useful for anyone um, listening in. It's, I mean, before we sort of sign off, uh, there's obviously been um, you know things happening uh, at NBC Universal recently. Is there sort of um, can you guys talk about that a little and um, and share kind of like what's next?
0: Yeah, I think um, if, if you've been following sort of the gaming industry news, you may have already read that NBC Universal is shutting down its its publishing its games publishing business. Um, you know, Andrew and I are, are lucky to be on for the next several months, but there's uh, 50 some odd people that are, are currently looking for new work.
3: You know, I mean, ultimately, like this this topic, it's worth considering as its own um, podcast series. I mean, it's yeah. it's the, the gaming industry is fundamentally project based, and that means that you have studios and publishers going under all the time the situation is changing and that results in these same studios and publishers being reforged anew and one of the things that really impressed me was the number of people who i work with who said don't worry about this i've already gone through this before Uh um and it's it's um one of the um truths of our industry and and a big part of what we are that that's worth talking about mm-hmm. um, again as, as a separate podcast uh, because I, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a very big and deep subject um, but but t- today at least the the practical side of all this is that um, in the LA area we do have a bunch of tremendously talented people um, who are looking for work and um, more more generally um, we we have this phenomenon where, um, regardless of your city, um, it's it's great to see uh, the gaming industry always rallying around this news and and taking care of everyone. So so we've we've had some people start to find new homes and and others um, who are still looking. So so we're grateful to everyone in, in LA who's who's helped uh, look out for
1: everyone. Well, so anyone take note, um, there are some talented people up for grabs, um, and potentially a, a, another podcast series, uh, or at least episode in there. Um, and and I think that all that remains for me to say is really thanks everyone for listening. Um, thank you, Andrew and Victor for being on with us today. And of course, thank you as always to um, Joe for co-hosting. Um, Make sure to tune in next episode, everyone, for more game product managers talking all things GPM related here on Level Up.